we, we call it a, 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 a fuzzy math kind of way. Like every, every step along her cancer journey, somebody gave her a 10% chance of this or a 5% chance of that, or a 95% chance you're gonna die or what, all of these things. And she finally just decided that every decision in life, every, every odd in life is 50-50. It's either gonna happen or it's not. Welcome to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. My name is Steve Wopolinik. I'm a licensed mental health counselor and one of the founders of the Promethean Project. Our guests are people who have broke the chains of their limitations and found the strength of their potential. We offer their stories as inspiration and as guidance to help others navigate their quest to find their flame. Welcome back to the Break the Chains, Find Your Flame podcast. As always, this is Steve Opolinik, your host for this amazing podcast that we have today. Our guest is a celebrated author, an endurance athlete, an amazing wordsmith, and just an all-around awesome guy. I had a really good time sitting down and talking to David Richmond, not only talking about his book, Cycle of Lives, but also getting to know him as a person and talking about his motivation for the book. Cycle of Lives follows 15 people and their journey with cancer. David does an amazing job of really letting the reader understand who these people are, not just as a cancer story. He does an amazing job externalizing their thoughts, their emotions, their beliefs, and really helping the reader to understand who they are. There's actually a 16th perspective in the book, and that's David's. Through the course of the story, you also follow David on a 5,000-mile trek from California to Florida and then all the way up to New York on nothing but his bike by himself in 45 days. The interview is amazing. I really loved getting to talk to David and to ask him questions about his journey, but also questions about the participants and questions about the writing styles. And we get into trauma and cancer and how they affect each other and how they're cyclical in nature. So please check out Cycle of Lives after listening today. Even if you don't like my part of the podcast, the book is definitely worth reading or listening to. So without further ado, here's David. In a world where humanity's potential is imprisoned and locked away, our only hope is to break the chains and find our flame. Hey, David, how are you? Good, how are you? Good, sorry, it's a couple minutes late. Uh... We got snow out here in Massachusetts and uh, I'm at home. Usually all my podcast stuff is in my office. So I'm making do with uh, the iPad and a stack of like eight fantasy books <laughs> to get oh, the right Oh my iPad. God, that's hilarious. Well, I just got back from Kansas City and it was, yeah, it was brutal. Yeah. 
So uh, welcome. Thanks so much for coming on. I'm, I'm super excited to talk to you. I've been listening to your book, uh, the audit, audible version of your book. Yeah. Um, and I'm loving it. Like I'm not oh, done with awesome. it. I, I think I got like six hours left. So I'm a good chunk into it. Oh yeah. Um, but you know, I teared up like multiple times listening to it, just driving. And those, so, yeah. uh, those voiceover actors are pretty amazing, aren't they? Yeah, they do a really good job and, and telling the story. So I'm really, really excited to finish it. And nice. I'm so happy, you know, I, y'all reached out to, to come on the podcast. So. Yeah. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's, it's tough to listen to, you know, I, I am um, obviously, between writing it and rewriting it, you know, and editing it and my editor, the publisher's editor, like I must've read the book, like whatever, 500 times. Right. Right. And then, but listening to the audible, yeah, it still gets me, man. It's uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's really, cause you know, a lot of these people, well, not all, a lot of them, all of them I, I know. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, when I hear, the, the voice it just brings back the memory of talking to them and especially with with uh dominic because you know he passed away and and just hearing that guy do dominic i'm in there actually interviewing the guy that did dominic on wednesday just for like a five minute snip just so i could you know do a little audible promotion or something right yeah and uh i gotta let him know he uh he definitely brought me down to my knees on that one <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I don't know the real Dominic, but just just the, um, you know, voice he gave that person and reading the book, it was, you know, it kind of transported you right into that band, right? <laughs> you know, leaving the concert or going to the concert, totally. Just this man, image right? of what Dominic looks like, and then you hear his story, and then it it makes it so much more powerful. Right? Yeah, well, thanks, thanks for taking the time to listen to it, man. It's really awesome of you. Thank you yeah it's it's well written um well you know i'm not reading it but like the you know yeah. the connotation the narrative force behind it is really amazing so thanks i appreciate that i uh you know i like books that um visualize what i'm reading and that's why i try to write is so that the reader can see it and not just like try to figure out what it is like I'm uh, ghostwriting a book right now, a fantasy book that I'm not really a, a fantasy writer, <clears throat> but the guy's using so much language that I just said to him, I can't visualize what you're, what you're doing. Like you're, you're making me try to come up with visions of things in my head that I have no idea. You got to describe what you're seeing because I, I, it's just distracting as heck. Right. So I'm, I'm glad that you said that. Cause that's the way that I write is I like to, I like to, have people feel like they can see what's going on yeah that's awesome i so obviously we started off this conversation talking about how i'm macgyvering and over here with eight fantasy books so that's right right in my realm so you'll have to let me know when that book comes out i'll have to check it out i will it's a really <clears throat> it's a really interesting concept it's it's a it's a group of uh, European and Scandinavian artists who put together this realm, this, this, these drawings, these thousands of drawings of a different world and five different realms and all these characters or whatever, but they don't have a story. Right. Oh, wow. So, That's cool. yeah. So they're going to do this whole like NFT thing with the drawings and a, video game and the whole thing. They got a lot of money and a lot of really neat people behind the only problem is they didn't have a story. 
so this guy's right right in the right in the story out in the in book form and and uh i'm helping him with it so i i will it's it's really very cool oh it's kind of like reverse engineering it's, it's it really is cool well we'll have to dive into that because um i have a nonprofit, which is what the po- uh, podcast is tied to called the promethean project and we just actually started an adolescent fantasy writing group and the hopes is to publish their stories as a group of five or six kids who uh, are doing their own world world building and magic systems and so we meet That's like really once awesome. every two weeks yeah wow awesome. well maybe i could get him or somebody else to maybe do a little workshop or something if you like yeah that'd be awesome i'd be more for it yeah you know Usually I, I start these podcasts with just a, a quick introduction, but I think we're already like a good chunk of the way into the podcast. So I'm not going to pull us back and start all over, but uh, we've been talking about your book. So why don't we use this as a, a foray into just a, a quick introduction of who you are and then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of hype the book up that we're talking about. And then I have a list of questions and intriguing concepts. Yeah. Well, I find intriguing concepts to kind of dive into. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, I mean, just to start out with, I mean, look, uh, I, I, I reviewed what, what you do and, and, I, and I really like the approach of, you know, dealing with stigma and mental health and trying to help people through different modalities of, you know, like finding their way and overcoming things. And, you know, for me, <clears throat> I think my, in the context of this, um, my story kind of started out in my late thirties. Um, when I finally just kind of made this, a like light lightning bolt kind of awareness thing that just hit me. And, and it was, it was this thought that I had lived my, my whole life kind of trying to please others or thinking I needed to be a certain way to fill expectations. I was not, ever really focused on my own health, mental health, like for, for me, like I would work right. hard to make sure that somebody else was seeing it, or I would uh, try to fix a relationship because I thought, you know, ask what I needed to do. It's just, I wasn't like, I wasn't focused on me and I was woke up. I was an overweight smoker. I, I had uh, um, just recently exited a, a really, um, pretty aggressively violent relationship. I had young kids. Um, my sister had just been diagnosed with terminal brain cancer. And I was just like, what the hell? I was just lost. Like, who am I? <clears throat> you know, what does life mean? And all of that. And it just hit me that I hadn't ever really focused on what I wanted out of life and who I wanted to be <clears throat> rather than thinking what I needed to be. And right. um that, that was a switch that, that really opened up for me a, a, what has now since then been a lifetime of endurance athletics and focusing on, you know, my emotional and mental health, um, being comfortable with who I am, forgiving myself for past experiences, um, you know, really <clears throat> uh, being interested on focusing on deep connections with the people in my life. So, <clears throat> excuse me, that's when kind of the the transformation of me took place. Right. That's awesome. I mean, like the parallel, uh, not quite to the extent of, uh, you know, the endurance athlete, but uh, mm-hmm. I also kind of my life 
was based on some trauma and and uh, emotional overeating and you know depression and anxiety and, and this pivotal moment where you know it just felt like you're running through expectations of how you're supposed to live your life but you're kind of stuck and then you know there was this epiphany moment that I found in meditation and then that meditation and, and that really wanting to make generative choices and kind of chase instead of like turning away from those things like turn towards them and really develop compassion and figure out where they're coming for for me mm-hmm. really kind of turned my life around it you know I was you know in my 220s and now I'm at like 170 or something like that and and the parallel between that is just like I think it really spoke to me as I was listening to your book and and you know hearing your story because the book is is really great at weaving in all these people's lives who were affected by cancer but then also the central connection between them is your journey on the bike but also mm-hmm. your life <laughs> mm-hmm. as well right like you talk a lot about this there's just like hundreds of miles of thousands of miles in total but you know 150 miles a day kind of on a bike and just how how much free time you have to think and stew and and be in those moments and so when i was listening to it i felt really connected to your story because it had similarities to my own journey in the sense of you know how how do you kind of embrace that um and then find something that's generative from it Right. And now you do, you know, all different kinds of modalities for like yoga and meditation mm-hmm. and that type of stuff. And, 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 and you kind of teach youth and, and, and adults as well, how to um, kind of tap into the sources that would allow them to focus on healthy things and transform themselves and bring them from one side to another. And right. for, for me, that, that meditative kind of self healing and self exploration happened through endurance athletics. And I didn't know that it was going to, <laughs> right. um, people know. don't necessarily get into it for, for that quality no. right away. No, exactly. Byproduct for sure. Yeah. And some people find their, you know, true authentic self through, uh, their work, maybe through art, maybe through their relationships, uh, maybe through family, religion. There's a lot of different ways that people find their true authentic self. For me, I didn't know what my true authentic self was. I had no, I had no clue. I knew some qualities that I had, right. I knew it was a hard worker. I knew it was conscientious. I knew that I cared about other people. Um, I knew I was always, not always able to, but I always try to do the right thing. And, you know, I, I try to be compassionate and empathetic and all. So I knew I had these qualities, but I didn't know, kind of who I was. And I think I needed to figure it out. And when I went um, on this journey of discovering endurance athletics, that's when I kind of was able to find it because for for some people, like for you, maybe, and I don't want to speak for you, but you know, in a 90 minute yoga or two hour yoga session, you might really find a place of uh, Zen or awareness of what's going on inside of you or whatever. For me, it's like, man, when I'm, you know, running 10 hours or biking for 10 hours or, you know, doing a 15 hour, you know, event or something, I really, I, I really find some deep contemplative space and it, and it allows me to discover more about myself. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I haven't quite gotten into like high endurance. I've done a couple half marathons and I've done a couple, uh, 
you know, long bike rides. We did one, I did a 75 mile one for MS um, on a fixed gear, which was a lot of fun. (laughs) But but you're right. Like there, there is this moment like in between like the intensive physical intensity and the mental intensity that there's like a sweet spot that you can kind of find to for sure. Yeah. And and that's interesting. How did, how did you find that out? Like, how did you get into endurance um, trials and things of that nature? And so I think it, 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 it's this um, idea of, I was forced by life and maybe some bad decisions on my own or whatever way the path my, my life went. Like I knew I could work like three jobs, right? I could go, do my one job that was, you know, with spreadsheets and calculators in the morning. And then I would go do, you know, a a waitering job in the evening. And I even did some, some, some overnight jobs. I I lived in Vegas at the time, you know, counting, you know, counting money. I, I, any, whatever I needed to do, I I would do it like, like, and I could work really, really hard. And I knew I had, I could work harder than anybody. And I had the energy to do that, but really I wasn't getting anything out of it. Um, you know, not, not spiritually or emotionally. And so when I started uh, doing any kind of sport that was, that was like running um, I did it because I wanted to lose weight and stop smoking and start to start to become active and being healthier for my kids and that type of stuff where the, the, so I applied that kind of like, how hard can I go? How, how hard can I work at it? And, and it's like, well, if you're doing it for yourself, it's really different. Like imagine, right. you know, if somebody told you, um, Hey, I want to pay you X number of dollars to run 50 miles. You'd be like, yeah, I'm not really going to do it. Right. But if you mm-hmm. could save your best friend, from a car accident and you'd have to run 50 miles to go do that. You do it in a second, right? You wouldn't even right. Yeah, yeah. think, right? Cause that's who you are. So for once you start doing it for your own personal reasons, it becomes a different type of challenge. You're not trying to prove anything. You're trying to discover things. And I always thought that when I pushed myself a little bit further, Steve, than, than I ever could have, However far it was at, at the beginning, it was a two minute run. I couldn't push myself any further. Later on, it was like, oh, a 24 hour run or something. But w- whenever I hit the wall of what I thought I could do or how much I thought I could handle, I just said, we'll go a little bit further and just find out something new about yourself. And so right. that became the attraction for me was to say, how much could I accomplished how high of a goal could i set if i was the only one that cared whether or not i I achieved it nobody else is looking nobody else is measuring me nobody else is going to give me a pat on the back it's nothing like that right what what can i do for myself so that's that's where the draw was that's amazing and i think you're right like by just opening it up a little bit and not be completely like well i have to do another two hours but to say to yourself like well how much further could i go if i just kind of let myself kind of be open to like not being compassionate but also not judgmental of, mm-hmm. of everything and just allow me to be in this space and, and push myself yeah and i feel like um i noticed this in business 
that, um, and I was running a pretty big, I was running a hundred million dollar in revenue business. Right. So I, I was not, you know, I was, I was in charge of a lot of people and a lot of important stuff. And I noticed that that was a, a thing that people that were really, really driven in, in, in the business world were kind of sometimes driven by outside sources, but it was just within them to be the best or to be driven no matter what. And some people weren't, some people were never satisfied with the goals that they set for themselves. Some people didn't set high enough goals at all, right? They just wanted to get by on the very, very minimum. Right. And um, so I, I was more attracted to this concept of setting super high goals, especially if you don't know that you could do it. Like, for example, if you wanted to become a piano player um, and, and, and all of a sudden you started playing piano and you realize this, oh my God, this is, this is it. This is my passion. Then set a goal of, I want to be the best piano player ever. Maybe somebody is, so why not you? Right. And so, so um, I didn't want to fool myself, but I just said, well, geez, man, if, if you could run two minutes, then you might as well try to run a mile. And if you can run a mile, you might as well try to run five. And then I said, oh, geez, wouldn't it be great one day to be able to run like a whole marathon, right? And then yeah. every time I did something, I said, that's not a high enough goal. And, and I don't know what the high enough goal is because I said at one point, I want to roll out of the rack and, and say, I'm going to run a marathon today on no training. And I did that. Right. And then I go, no, that's not a high enough goal. I want to actually roll out of the rack, not knowing I'm going to do it and go, go run 50 miles that day. And I did it right. Then I go, no, I want to run a hundred miles. No, I want to do that. like you, yeah. whatever you, the, the amount of uh, the depth of which you can press yourself, especially on, on positive things, because you get, you get all this, this self-worth out of it. But um, the amount that you can press yourself when you're only doing it for yourself and to see what you're made of and to, and to, um, be proud of the person in the mirror that that is a that is a drug it's a wonderfully positive uh, transformative driving force and and so uh for for me it it, it kind of i took from other parts of my life and i applied it to that and then i i bleed it into other parts of my life to say man i'm not setting high enough goals and and it's and it's really a great motivator yeah that's awesome um so quick, like a mm -hmm. question on that, obviously, is, you know, you, you were able to kind of hit those benchmarks and keep moving forward. Have you ever set that goal or like rolling out of bed and like, I'm going to go do this and maybe not hit that mark yet. And then how do you deal with that? And how do you, mm -hmm. you, you know, process through that and keep going? Yeah, it's a great, it's a great question. And, you know, I wrote another book called winning in the middle of the pack in which I talk about, kind of the similarities between running a really big business, running hundred miles, and then just throwing some life stories. And I have these two back-to-back -back chapters. One is like never quit. And the other one is no when to quit. Okay. <laughs> okay. That's stupid to say both, but there are times when you can just apply the never quit. And then there are times when you can apply that you just got to know when to quit. And, you know, um, I think that as you become more in tune with yourself and what are the reasons that you're doing something, if the reasons are really, really bad, stop doing it, right? No to quit, right? right. If you're, if you're putting yourself in harm's way, then no, no one to quit. 
Um, you know, other than that, really, unless you have bad intentions and unless you're putting yourself in, in harm's way, you really shouldn't ever quit. And so sometimes when I started out to do something and it didn't work out and I had to quit, it wasn't because I wasn't willing to push myself. It wasn't because I wasn't capable. It was because one, either my intentions weren't proper right? Like, I like, I'm doing it for the wrong reason. So why the hell am I doing it anyway? Or two, right. I'm going to hurt myself. And so I, I don't want to hurt myself. I remember I quit one, I did this one 50 mile race. It was the last weekend in June in Vegas and they had pulled the permits for the race because it was 121 degrees, hottest day on record. So they pulled right. the permits and didn't allow the race to go forward. But I had already trained for it. So my buddy and I set up a, our own aid stations and we started to do our own 50 mile race on that day. And um, yeah, about 35 miles in, I had lost like 15 pounds. I was getting delirious. I was, yeah. I couldn't take in any more. Uh, uh, hydration. It was, uh, it was in the high, high one teens to, to, you know, one twenty ish almost. And I knew I was going, I was going to hurt myself potentially fatally. Like I, like I was pushing myself so hard. I lost so much weight. I was so dehydrated that if I continued, so quitting didn't mean failure. Quitting mean I I had to, you got to know when to quit. I mean, it's, it's the right thing to do, but I learned a ton and I don't think it was a failure. I didn't get to the finish line that I set for myself, but what the heck? I mean, I started a, a 35 mile run in 120 degrees. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. yeah. I mean, like you just have to realign on like, I, there's an acronym. I love this for fail. It's just like first attempt in learning. And I, yeah. I think that's such a cool acronym because that's exactly what you do. You go out and you, you kind of see what makes sense. And then you say, okay, this is where it is. This is what I deal with and this is how I plan for the next next one yeah I, I kind of feel like um that's very similar to I think the quote um is a Nelson Nelson Mandela quote where he mm -hmm. said um I, I've never lost I either win or I learn right I as it, that's exactly kind of what you just said it's, it's just, I mean it's it's a profound way to look at these things that mm -hmm. we build up in our head as just catastrophic kind of things that we you know carry shame or or negative self-image in, and so you know if you can kind of look at that i mean 35 miles in and of itself is amazing yeah the 120 degrees to it but you can definitely learn from that experience yeah and i think what we what we do sometimes is beat ourselves up you know kind of uh, unconditionally and we hold ourselves to some weird standard that's usually put on us by others. I remember I was in business one time and I, I had some, some bad things happen with regards to my management style or something. got a bunch of people angry and some quit and it was some complaint. My boss came to me and he asked me to explain what had happened. And he said, all right, well, you've done the right thing. He says, here's the deal. I expect you to fail. Like, I really do. I really expect you to fail because when you fail, you learn. What I don't expect is that if you fail and you make mistakes, that you make those mistakes over and over and over again, because right. that's what I don't expect. And I thought, you know what? In my personal life, I kind of make the same mistakes over and over <laughs> and over. I've been guilty of that. Why can't I learn? So I then I said, oh, shoot. You know what? Forgive yourself. 
it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to fail, but why don't you learn from it rather than instead of banging your head against the wall, bang twice as hard just so you can prove that you can break through the wall. No, no, no. Why don't you learn from that? Maybe you shouldn't bang your head against the wall, right? Maybe you should go do it a different way. So I love that idea of it's okay to fail. It's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to be wrong. It's okay to have taken the wrong path. Just learn from it, forgive yourself, move on, learn from it and do better next time. Yeah. Words to live by. You know, I can't tell you how many times a younger version of myself would not do that and and just get stuck and really downhearted on that aspect. But, you know, there's so much growth that happens when even on a small thing, if you can turn it around, really just pay attention to that. Um, I like to say generative as opposed to positive, just because, you know, positive has a connotation that everything's awesome. I like thinking about generative thinking is like, hey, this may suck right now, but it's movement forward, right? Um, yeah, absolutely. So I, sorry, I had to mute us. Cause I got, of course the gardeners just showed up at this time, <laughs> literally they just showed up. So I apologize for the background. Well, my daughter and my nephew are downstairs. So if you just hear kids screaming, that's what's happening in the background. It's- that's all right. It's, it's real life. And generative is an interesting, is an interesting concept. Cause I think what happens is we get into our own heads and we just think that things are a certain way because that's the way they are, or that's the way they've always been. And I think that's where you can make true growth in yourself and in your circumstances. And is when you realize that it's not static and things don't have to be a certain way and they're not always a certain way. And once you kind of take charge of that thought and, you know, I, I, again, I think a lot of it begins with forgiveness Mm-hmm. of yourself and um and saying okay well now i know better and i didn't know until i i knew right like like i i i never quit smoking until i finally quit smoking right and there was two factors that made me quit smoking uh, and now there were some other outside factors that made me really think about it a different way but there were two factors that made me stop stop smoking one is i didn't want to quit and fail I hate to fail. Right. And so I didn't want to quit and then fail because if failure became okay with quitting smoking, then I would get used to failing and I would never quit. So I always told myself, don't quit until you're not going to fail. And I wasn't positive that I was ever going to (laughs) quit right? because I didn't want to fail. Right. The, the, the second thing is, is that, um, at some point I had to say to myself, forgive yourself. Like, like, it's okay. It's okay to have been a mistake. And, and you identified yourself as a smoker for 20 years. Right. That's the way you saw yourself. Now, just forgive yourself for that. It was okay. That's what got you through whatever you're going through at those times in your life. But now you know better. Now you know better. That is not who you are, if, if, unless it's who you want to be. And if it's not, then just quit. Like, just forgive yourself for that's who you were. And that's what the way you saw yourself. And it's okay because that's what you needed. I mean, listen, I mean, not to get into a big, crazy, crazy story, but I was 18 years old living in a Pinto station wagon with 56 cents in my pocket. The only thing I had was a carton of cigarettes in the backseat. I'd just been robbed at gunpoint of everything I had 
I, I owned. I couldn't call any family or friends. I was 100% on my own done. The only thing that got me through that was cigarettes. For cigarettes, yeah. Okay, so it took me a long time to realize that that's not who I was. But at that time, that's it just became this survival thing for me and became part of me. And so until I could realize and become aware of myself enough to realize that, that I could change my narrative, I could be generative, I could evolve from that. I had to forgive myself. And, and for me, I had to, I had to say, okay, now is the time that you're not going to fail and believe in yourself. You won't fail at this. Go ahead and quit. Yeah. I mean, in counseling, well, there, there are some theories in counseling, which is kind of like, it's called IFS. It's like internal family systems, but it's really an individualized kind of look at the parts of ourselves, which is exactly what you're talking about is that, you know, we all have different parts of ourselves, different things that we show to different people, different, you know, even in just the, the true self, there's so many parts, you know, there's Steve, the therapist, there's Steve, the geek, there's Steve, the dad, you know, Steve, the husband, all, all these different parts. And I think there are the parts that people don't talk about a lot are these like parts that seem negative or limited, but are actually doing something for us, but we never see it because we just judge them all the time. It's like smoking for me, it was overeating, right? Like, oh, I hate this part of myself. Like, why won't it just go away? Why am I broken? You know, all the shame. And it wasn't until I was like, it, it, it's helping you regulate, man. Like it's, it's helping you, it's doing something for you. And that can continue exactly like you're saying, or you can say, hey, thanks. Show compassion to that part and say, let's put that energy somewhere else, right? Like, like thank you for protecting me, but I'm, I'm ready to be vulnerable and move forward, right? Yeah, and it's, it's the hardest thing, especially I think for men, especially for men that either take responsibility or have responsibility for others is to admit that we're wrong or to admit that we've made a mistake or to admit that we're, we're doing the, doing things in, in not the best way. It's really hard to do, especially if, 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 you know, you, you're in a position or put yourself in a position where, where you kind of have to take care of things. And right. so, um, and it's the exact opposite, man. It's, it's like the opposite that we should, we should do. We should be a little bit easier on ourselves so that we can say, okay, well, and I always say to my kids, I say to my wife, I, I remind myself all the time, you don't know what you know until you know it. Right. And once you know something, once you know that it's okay to forgive yourself for, for, for that, or it's okay to say, that's who I was at that time. Now I'm going to move on until you say like, now I know that. So it's okay. So you just move past it, right? It's, it's easier said than done. And it's definitely a process and you could use either internal mentorship or external mentorship, or, you know, talk to professionals like you to help you through that. But it's, it is a pretty simple concept. It's really hard in application, but it is a simple concept of just to let go and just go, it's okay that I was a certain way or that I am a certain way. Now I know it's okay for me to go be a, a different certain way. Right. I, I, it, right? It's an easy concept, uh, it, but it, I know there's a lot to unpack around that for a lot of people, but, um, but that, that's where true growth comes is when you are able to just walk away from something and discover something new. It's, it's, really, yeah. it's really a wonderful, a wonderful tool. There's a quote that I often steal from a show called Forged in Fire. I don't know if you've ever seen that show, but it's like smithing. 
mm-hmm. is on like I think the Discovery Channel where they do a lot of uh, Smith competition of building okay. swords and knives. And exactly what you were talking about, they they were talking about like we often equate simple and easy as the same thing. They're not right. Like a, th- a theory or a thought or an activity can be simple in nature, but it doesn't always mean it's easy. And it's allowing yourself to kind of take a look at it. It's like, okay, this is basic, but it's going to take some work. Mm-hmm. And the quote, the quote exactly, I think if I'm remembering it correctly is um, simple and easy aren't the same things. Running a marathon is simple. You just run 26.2 miles. It's definitely not as easy as just, oh yeah, just go. Right. Right. Um, right. And obviously you know that better than anyone. <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and sad, I think it's that way in, 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 you know, in life kind of about anything that you want to accomplish of meaning is it's usually pretty simple, right? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's just, it's just that what you have to do behind it, the work that you need to do behind it is, is oftentimes not easy, but then again, you know, I'll tell you, Steve, I, I was, um, I was taught again in business that, that life's supposed to be hard. Yeah. I mean, I, I remember I had a boss one time and I, I won't use uh, bad language, but I had a boss one time and she's, you can if you want to, <laughs> yeah, but she was a wonderful mentor to me. And I had to do something really, really difficult, like super difficult. Um, and, uh, you know, I had to fire somebody that didn't deserve to be fired over something that happened. And it was like, man, this is a single woman and she's got a daughter and I'm going to have to fire her. And I go, God, so hard. And she looked at me and she goes, Oh, guess what? If you want a friend, get an effing dog. It's supposed to be hard. We do we do big stuff here. It's a big business. It's supposed yeah. to be hard. If it was easy, anybody could do it. Right. And I was like, whoa, if it's supposed to be hard. So I, I really love that concept of it's supposed to be hard. Okay. So it's simple, but it's not easy. Well, if it's supposed to be hard, then you already accepted that. It, right. I'm not, I, like I used to think, doing some uh, big physical thing was a mountain, right? Of challenge. It's not a mountain of challenge anymore. It's supposed yep. to be a mountain of challenge. So now that mountain's gone. The fact that it's, that it's, that it's hard is not a problem for me anymore. It's supposed to be hard. So don't complain right. about it. Don't complain about how hard it is. It's supposed to be hard. I love that idea. And so if it's supposed to be hard, then you just move on to whatever tasks you need to do to, to, accomplish whatever you're trying to accomplish it's it's really a, a wonderful freeing mindset to go okay you know like bring on the pain like yeah of course, of course it's supposed to be hard yeah i love that i'm gonna i'm gonna take that with me i i like to do every year give myself some kind of skill set challenge i do a lot of body weight stuff calisthenics space and this year i gave myself three <laughs> skill skill uh, challenges and uh one of them is to do um 40 reps of pull-ups without leaving the bar that's oh. one of them uh, that's, that's that one i think maybe one of the toughest i'm at just got back up to 20 so that's i'm amazing. halfway there so I'm, I'm excited about that um another one is this beast tamer challenge which is a kettlebell challenge where mm-hmm. you get a 106 pound kettlebell and you have to overhead press it once you have to pistol squat while holding holding it oh. once and then you do a pull up with it once. And so that oh. one's going to be challenging. And the third one was just a simple, I don't really deadlift. So I wanted to give myself a more challenging deadlift challenge. So I want to hit 450 by the end of the year. Wow. So we'll see where, where I go. We'll Those see are where it gets. Pretty high end goals, dude. I know. Well, I'm going to take this 
this conversation and really put it into that work and and see where I can get, you know. Yeah, I am. Um... I love, I love this. Enjoy the pain, bring it on. It's supposed to be hard. You know, life's not easy. I like that because when you're in the middle of something that's really difficult, whether it's dealing with a dysfunctional family at a family event, or if it's dealing with, uh, you know, um, the heat on a, on a 150 mile bike ride, or if it's getting a project done, whatever, I, I just, I, I, I used to really, um, have this chip on my shoulder about the toughness of it or the challenge of it or why, 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 why is it, why isn't life any, why, why is there always a line when I'm late? Right. I, right. but now I just go, well, it's supposed to be that way. It's, I mean, that's yeah. the way it is. It just, just right. stop, stop complaining about it. It's supposed to be hard. It's supposed to hurt. It's supposed to not be easy. I love that. It's a very freeing thing. And it's, it's the advice that I could give myself uh, unending times um, and it never gets old because it's very easy to think that we're always fighting an uphill battle. And if we're, if we take away the uphill part of the battle, it's a forward battle. Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? And I no, love, exactly. I love that idea. It's funny you mentioned uphill. So, uh, you know, your book cycle of lives, which mm -hmm. I, don't, I think this is the first time we actually mentioned the title. Yeah. So we'll make sure we say it a couple more times so sure, people sure. can check it out and listen to it or read it. Cause I think everyone should give it a go um very early on you're talking about the start and then transitioning into arizona from california and it's funny i started listening to this as i was in arizona we went on a vacation to arizona we flew down to phoenix and then went up to sedona and then the grand canyon and nice. kind of hiked around and i'm listening to it i think i started listening uh right before we left and then on the flight back i was listening to it and in my head, I'm, I'm just thinking, driving from Phoenix to Sedona, you go up thousands of feet. And then driving from Sedona to the Grand Canyon, you go up like another 3,000 feet. And so I'm just picturing you riding across Arizona. And I'm like, I got nervous driving <laughs> up, up these like ledges and all this stuff. And, and so I think that's a, a cool transition of just like when you take away the uphill part of it, it's just a straight. Uh, yeah. journey it's just for yeah and and it's easy to complain it's easy to whatever but you know and to give some context um to to anybody listening behind that bike ride is i i had what i'd done is i interviewed a ton of people for about a year year and a half uh maybe a little bit longer on a couple of them to try to delve into the deepest parts of their um emotional journeys with cancer, but in relation to the traumas that they had already had in their lives, right. such as like abandonment, abuse, you know, alcoholism, uh, making bad decisions, whatever, whatever the trauma was, um, suicide of a parent, you name it. And so how did they navigate the emotional journey of cancer as a patient survivor, loved one caregiver or whatever, um, in relation to those other traumas. And then when I was had interviewed them already. I said, well, let me, let me, in order to connect the stories, let me get on my bike and connect them by visiting as many of them as possible um, along a bike ride, which made me kind of zigzag a little bit. I went from California zigzagging across and then uh, down, down to Florida uh, to into Tampa across and then up to New York. And so that, and I did it in a very short period of time. Yeah. And so, <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I didn't, I didn't, like, 
I didn't take my time. I was putting in 120, 130 miles a day, um, sometimes more. Um, and it was hot. It was windy. It was brute, It was uphill. It was whatever. And I complained a little bit about it in the book. I complained about it a little bit along the way, but I was always trying to get to somewhere, not get past something, you know, like I was, I was just trying to get, get to the finish line. And, and, and that's a, that, that was a mindset that kind of kept me going for sure. Well, now that we're talking about it, I, you know, there's a lot of stuff that comes up in the book. And as we were saying before, very emotional, like hearing these stories and people's voices. And we already gave uh, kudos to the person who did Dominic's story, which mm-hmm. is awesome. Um, I also really just think like one of the things that was really amazing to me was just the internal dialogue that you you accompanied the book with and and just you know part of me every time I'm hearing your part of the story is like is he gonna make it like like really vested in this concept of of like oh are they gonna hit the I mean I just finished the four mile bridge part of the story oh my god that's the most (laughs) I'm driving home from work usually I decompress but I'm like holding this steering wheel like oh my god is he gonna get hit by a truck what is happening um so I do have a question. It, it may not yeah. be what you think, but I, as I was listening to the story, one of my questions was, and maybe I'm just ignorant here because I've never done a journey this long, but uh, laundry, like how, like, how do you do that? Obviously you, you, sometimes you have people assisting you and then sometimes you have like the saddlebags and, you know, I'm, I'm thinking this whole time you talk about the food at the end of the day, you talk about showering and like relaxing and, and kind of that aspect. But this whole time in my mind, I'm like, is he, putting like wet biker shorts and, and like jerk, like what is going on with that? And so uh, that was one of my first questions for you. That's awesome because um, yeah, it, it's, it's pretty hilarious. So I, I'm on this bike ride, but it's, it's solo. So I don't have a, you know, bunch of bikers or it's just me, but I do have support along the way. And it's, it, it's my wife mostly back then she was my fiance a couple of friends every now and then for a couple of days here or there, there's no way I was going to ask any of them to do my laundry, especially with as nasty as my, my biking clothes were. So it's pretty hilarious. I I basically had uh, two bike outfits for the whole 45 days. So what I would do is I would finish the day. I would take a shower. I would stomp on my clothes with a bunch of soap. And while I was taking a shower, (laughs) to clean them, take the dirt and the dead bugs and all the other, you know, uh, just was nasty. Uh, so I would stomp on them, wring them out and then hang them up to dry. And usually I was getting six or seven hours of sleep only. So no, they weren't dry in the morning, but um, I would put on wet or partially damp uh, bike clothes and start out, start the next day, which wasn't the worst thing in the world. Cause it's usually pretty hot out, but, um, right, yeah. but uh, yeah, I would, I would, uh, so I, I, I never went out. I only need a bike because I was biking 12, 14, 15 hours a day. Yeah. I, yeah, yeah. I, You're I, not doing too much extra. <laughs> I didn't do anything extra. I think I brought a pair of shorts and a t-shirt. I don't know that I ever put either one of either one of them on. And, um, and so, yeah, then, then I did have a couple of uh, rest days along the way. I had four rest days in 45 days. So on a couple of those rest days, then I would throw everything into a, into a laundromat or something, but it was, it was ridiculous. It, 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 it was, it was ridiculous. I would like stomp the day's dirt out of my, out of my bike outfit in the shower. It's pretty funny. 
I love the way you go about this book too, because I, I think there are books that talk about very technically and very like specifically the cancer part of the story. But mm-hmm. what I really enjoyed about each person's story in the book is that you go deeper than that. Like you're saying, you, you talk about these traumas and, and then also like their, their whole life most of the time. And so like, it's, it's interesting is because like some people are survivors and some people are caretakers and you get really into these stories that don't really, I mean, they all connect, right, with, with the, the cancer part, but at first listen, you don't really see them connect, and it's just great to build that person up so you can see them as a whole person as opposed to just this chapter of their life and what they went through with that, and I really enjoy hearing that because I do think, you know, when you talk about stigmas or, you know, healthcare or wellness, like it's a part that's missed a lot of the time because it's just like, Oh, diagnosis. This is what I look at you as. You know, and it's really, um, it's a great lead up because you work with, with children, uh, youth, right. Young adults. And Mm -hmm. um, I think a concept in mentoring or in in helping them is to see them, right. That's a, my wife's on a mentoring uh, been with a mentoring organization for inner city youth in LA for about you know decade and a half or so, and they have this saying called Salbona, right? I I see you, and it's like until you actually see people and you you and we don't know we don't know what people have gone through in their lives, what they're going through currently, we just don't know. And until until we do, if we do get a chance to see them, if we do get a chance to understand them, it's only then that we can make a powerful connection. And I set out writing the book to help people form deeper connections with the people that in their lives that are going through trauma, or if they're going through it, how to allow people in their lives to connect uh, deeper with them. And I felt like the only way to do that is not be prescriptive and tell people what to do, but it's to do it through storytelling. And I wanted to go deep into telling these stories of people so we would know them, so we would see them for all of all the trauma and the highs and lows of their lives and how that affected them through difficulty, whether they were an oncologist for 40 years or a patient or a survivor or whatever, so that maybe it would stick in our head that next time we know somebody that's going through something, or if we're going through something that we might be then better equipped to allow them to form better connections with us and vice versa. Um, And that, that was, that was, that was what I set out to do. And so it, what I love to hear, and thank you for telling me, is that you 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 see the, the person, you see the story, you understand the depth of, of what they are, who they are, what they've gone through, um, and not just uh, trying to be moved by some singular event, such as can- a cancer diagnosis or whatever, but you're just seeing them for for the whole person that they are and how profoundly affected they were by by the traumas in their lives. And then you might, hopefully, what I'm hoping is that as a reader, you might be able to later on in your life, run across something or a situation that's going to remind you of, you know, somebody that you knew, that you saw that you could that you could feel and go, Oh, okay, maybe that's, that's the way I need to deal with this. This is what that person didn't get. This is what I can give them. This is what that person got. This is how I can replicate that. Do you know, does that make sense? Oh yeah, I know. I mean, you know, just talking about that, I don't, I don't remember her name, but there, there is a story in there that that's the first time I kind of teared up listening was uh, 
the story about that female character who who her parents and her family didn't really care. It didn't uh, seem like they were too involved with her, and Harry, she went off to college. Yeah, really. But yeah, she that's that was a really intense story to listen to, and then just her processing with like you know significant others and like I almost punched the dashboard as I yeah. was driving. The because second, and, you know, the and second time, you, I'm like, are you kidding me? I, I write. So that was the hardest. Well, there was two stories that were super hard to write. That one was super hard to write because Terry is a wonderful person, but, um, you know, just, I'll get, I'll give anybody who's listening a super quick recap. So just to add to what you said, kind of the black sheep of the family, right. Goes off to college. Um, uh, young, very young, goes off to college. So she's, she's not really bonding with the people around her. She uh, meets someone. Uh, uh, she gets diagnosed with a, a really very uh, difficult cancer to overcome. And at the last minute, like right before she's about to get treatment, he calls her up and says, look, I'm out of here. This is not, this is not my life. You're on your own. So she has to go through this alone. Plus her roommate uh, 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 disappears. Plus her best friend disappears. Plus her parents are like, ah, you're overblowing this. So we you don't need us. We don't need. So she goes through this whole thing alone. Then she goes through it again, right? 10 years later, several years later, not 10, several years later, she gets the same cancer. It comes back this time. It's even worse. She's got to get a bone marrow transplant, the whole thing. And she's, she has someone in her life again. He does the same thing. He totally same abandons thing. her. Yeah. And you're like, whatever. And then she goes to a support group for people that have her type of a cancer and the issues that she went through. And every single person in the book dies, in her group dies, except for her. Every single one. And you're just thinking there. And when I first spoke to her, I, w- I was thinking, man, th- th- I, I don't want to say pitiful, but it was, it was just like, come on, man. How much bad stuff could happen to somebody? Right. But when I was talking to her, she had such a positive outlook on life. And so like um, uh, this wonderful, like, Hey man, I might be alone on a life wrap in the middle of the ocean, but whatever, man, you know, the sun's going to come up tomorrow that kind of like that Tom Hanks, you know, quote, you never yeah. know what the tide's going to bring. She kind of had a, her own, her own um, version of that for herself. And I thought this is like the most optimistic, empowered, like, 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 curious about life women ever and she has every reason to to not be so to write her story was really difficult because i wanted people to be moved but i didn't want them to think like oh man uh, i only have pity for this person or, oh yeah no you, you did great because i didn't oh. leave that with pity i was just upset at the, the people who suck in her story yeah. You know, and I and I love if, if we could just tell tell one more story from that. And what I took away from that is that she at the end of her cancer journeys and who knows if they'll come back again. But at the end of her cancer journey, she's just decided to look at things. We, we call it a, 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 a fuzzy math kind of way, like every every step along her cancer journey. Somebody gave her a 10 percent chance of this or a 5 percent chance of that or a 95 percent chance you're going to die or what all of these things. And she finally just decided that every decision in life, every, every odd in life is 50, 50. It's either going to happen or it's not. I'm either going to live or I'm not. 
I'm gonna marry I, someone. I think that or I'm inclusion not. of that in the story was is what helped shift some of some of that narrative, like you were talking about. Yeah, and so when I when, sometimes when I think about how difficult something is or how how remote of an opportunity thank you for, for taking to, the time for me to, to accomplish to something podcast. or for something to happen if you i just go someone you know when i would can, like to be when, on the when podcast when i, when I can channel my inner terry i go hey it either is or at the promethean right. project it's gonna happen or it's not or you're gonna do it or you're not if you want I mean, to learn more 50, about the promethean so project about how or if you would like to donate either it's gonna happen to our cause you can reach us at prometheanproject.org if you really do enjoy this podcast please share with your friends like our posts on social media and instagram and on facebook and please leave us a review on apple podcasts or any podcast app that you like to listen to again thank you for taking a listen and remember the most important step is always the next one my favorite meal is really simple. I was in Texas and um and I my my stomach had settled down because it had been about two weeks or so and and just hundred degree heat. Uh, I, it was hard to eat. I was burning like seven, eight thousand calories a day and I just I, my stomach was shut down from dehydration and the effort and I just couldn't. And oh my God, I'm on my own um, and I I I I bike past this like local barbecue diner place and it says, you know, best barbecue in West Texas or something. And I, and I bike by and I went, ah, I doubt it is. And then I said, well, maybe what if it is like the best barbecue ever in Texas? So I turned around and I went back in and in my bikes things, I'm clicking along the, the <coughs> clicking along the cement in the cafe and I order this plate of barbecue food that came out and I sat down. It was literally the best meal I ever had about 30 miles down the road. I was hungry again. And I roll up to this thing. This is the best pies. You know, those uh, individual pies yeah. you get in a, in, out of wrappers when a kid like cherry or yeah, apple yeah. or lemon or whatever. Like I forget the what they're called. Yeah. Like those, but they were homemade. And I, and I, and they best ever. And I said, I'm going to believe them. And I went in and I got one. It was the best ever. I got another one. So I, that turned me, that barbecue meal turned me. I could eat anything nice. after that. Awesome. Difficulty. Uh, a lot, a lot of them. I would say probably there's one day in Texas that was stupid. I, I woke up, uh, no Florida. Sorry. It was Florida. I woke up at six in the morning uh, to do, or to, I woke up to do a 6am news uh, show uh, I was on the news at 6 a.m. I started my bike day. I finished at one in the morning. So I, I went uh, 19 hours, 156 miles. Um, it was just in, in, insane amount of physical uh, exertion. I, I was completely spent um, late leading up to that. And somehow I was able to muster 19 hours of biking, um, 156 miles, winds, heat, hills it was oh it was crazy but uh so i you know I, when i think about could i ever do 19 hours i know it's a quick question i'm supposed to give you a quick answer but when you ever think could i do 19 hours being completely stupidly physically depleted could i then just get up and do 19 hours of biking 150 plus miles yeah you could do it if if, if you really want to yeah that's awesome uh, okay, so two last questions. I end the podcast with these questions all the, all the time, and I think this would be an enjoyable uh, way to end this as well. So I'm going to give you both, and you can an answer 
Sure. However you want to. So the first question is, if you could have any superpower, what would it be and why? And then the second would be, what do you think your real life superpower is? Ah, so my real life superpower is, is that what we just talked about is Mm -hmm. I, I feel like I have the ability to recover like better than most people. So um, I might at the end of the day look like death and you, and we've done the same thing and, and, and I might look like death and you might look like you've been taxed a little bit. And then when we wake up, you're just dragging, I'm ready to go. Like, I don't know what it is, but for some reason, I I feel like I can recover really, really well. So I think, I don't know if that's a superpower that allows me to do anything, but continue, but still whatever it's, it's, a superpower. it's helped you. Yeah. Yeah. The superpower, I guess I'm not a huge like Marvel guy. I don't know about the millions of different superpowers ever, but I think if I had a superpower, it'd be more like dash from the Incredibles is being able to move super fast from one point to the next, because I'm always in such a hurry to get somewhere and to do something like I'd love to go be able to run across the ocean to get to England real quick, see my daughter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Awesome. So I'd yeah. say super hyper, hyper fast movement would be the nice. power I'd love to have. I, I was hoping you would say that and it fits so well with everything we've been talking about. <laughs> great. Nice. Well, David, thank you so much. It's an honor to sit and talk with you and, and get to dive more into your stories. I'm so excited to finish the book and can't recommend it more highly to anyone else. I'm actually going to probably text my buddy after this and have him listen to it and then plan a bike ride because he did the 75 mile one with me. So I'm itching to get back out there. So sweet. Not today, not in the snow, but uh, no, not not today.